This week, we are starting a brand new series called Financial Freedom. Is that slide up there? Do I press it? Oh. There it is. Financial freedom. Woo-woo. Now, first of all, you think, financial freedom? Yes, please. I'll take some of that. But I think a lot of people, when they hear that there's going to be a sermon series on finances, there's a little bit of sighing and groaning and rolling of eyes that kind of happens. Of course, you're too nice to do that out loud. But in your heads, possibly, you might have what really is uh, a common reaction uh, to, to just the attitude of finances and when churches talk about finances. The first one, there's a couple of different reactions that people have. The first one is people think, the church is just gunning for my money again. So here we go all over again. i got to get the checkbook out because, you know, this is what it's all about. I mean, Robert Downey Jr., very unimpressed with this idea. And I want to acknowledge for a second that this is actually a very difficult subject for a lot of people because a lot of churches have mishandled this topic. In fact, I've heard a lot of stories from many of you about churches who have gone from just kind of out there sort of teachings to downright oppressiveness in the way that they treat people around the topic of offering. So I'm not going to shy away from talking about giving because God doesn't shy away from talking about it and I've got to be honest with what he is saying. But there are a couple of things that you will not hear me say, or I hope, I hope you will not hear me say. One thing that you definitely won't hear me say is you won't hear me teaching that if you give enough money, you will get enough money back. Or you will get rich if you give enough. All right, that is not the way I believe the Bible talks about giving. Do we get blessings for giving? Yes. I believe there is a blessing that God gives us when we give our finances to Him because we're trusting Him and He rewards that. Does that mean financial blessings? Maybe, sometimes, possibly, but that's not an expectation that we pull in. And I'm going to talk about why that's a real problem a little bit later on. Second thing that you will not, and, and this, this can be a little subjective sometimes, so I hope you do not feel me doing is I will not use shame or guilt as a means for getting you to, to give more money to the church. And I know churches do this sometimes. And maybe they're well-meaning in the way that they do that, but I don't think that, sh that shows the loving care and mercy that God has. I believe, ultimately, giving is up to you and God. First, Second Corinthians uh, 9, 7 says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, meaning I shouldn't be giving you pressure, right? Um, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So our only motivation when we talk about giving is not to get you to give more, and we have to fight the, the logistics of running a church. We're not trying, we don't want to get sucked into, we need this, therefore you must give this. That's not what we want to do. What we want to do is get you into a great place with God. And we believe part of that is the way that you do your, your giving and, and finances. And the series is going to touch on some of that stuff. But I don't want to spoil it all. So we'll move on to the second thing that people say. 
Robert Downey has a problem with. And he says it's not exactly a spiritual topic, is it? So just stay in your lane. You know, I mean, when I come to church to hear spiritual things, I don't come to church to hear pragmatic things about money and finances and blah, blah, blah. If I want financial advice, I'll go to a banker. If I want spiritual advice, I'll come to the church. So the idea there is money's not particularly spiritual. Well, I think God disagrees with that. Here's a little interesting question. There are, this is not the question part, there are roughly 500 verses in the Bible that talk about prayer and faith. Okay, 500. How many verses do you think then talk about money and possessions? Anyone want to hazard a guess? More. That's, that's a smart guess given the way I'm going with this. You were tracking the narrative there. Let me tell you. 2,350 verses that talk about money and possessions. 25% of every word that Jesus said in the New Testament and nearly half of the parables, the stories that he told, were dealing with money and financial and stewardship and, and possessions. So why so much? Is it because perhaps the Bible is actually much more practical than we gave it credit for? Yes. But I also think that finances is much more spiritual than we gave it credit for either. In fact, I would argue that finances is a deeply spiritual issue. And that's the point of what I want to talk about this morning. I had this, I was going to have a three-part series, and this was just going to be the introduction, but... I really felt like we really needed to explore something before we get into the nitty-gritty of the series, a more sort of big-picture view of the way that we approach finances and it being a spiritual thing. And I've called it financial freedom, the fight for freedom. Because before we can find that freedom, we need to recognize that it is a battle. And it is not just a physical battle. In fact, it goes well beyond the checkbooks, the bank accounts, the wallets. It goes right deep into the spiritual realm. Now, if you're not familiar with church and, and some of the stuff around the Bible, me starting to talk about the spiritual realm is going to sound a little bit weird. But one of the key things that we believe as Christians is that there is more than just the physical world around us, right? We believe that God created both the physical world and a spiritual realm where he is, but also where there are angels, and then angels who rebelled against God, we call them demons or devil, the devil and his minions. And this spiritual realm exists in and around us. We can't see it. You know, we're not actively aware about it. Um, depending on the type of church you go to, sometimes they're much more keenly in tune with that sort of thing and, and um, than, than other churches are. But there is this spiritual realm going on, and within the realm, there is this war being waged. And the war is being waged between Satan, who is the sort of head honcho bad guy, used to be an angel, got kicked out of heaven because he wanted to be God, and now is just, say this ironically, hell-bent on destroying everything that God is doing. In fact, right from the very beginning, from creation, when God made the world, he put people in it, he says, yay, I really like this. Satan immediately jumps in and tries to ruin it. In fact, chapter 3 of the book of the Bible, 
the very first few pages, he rears his ugly head and he starts messing with things. And he leads his people astray. Not because he wants them to focus on him. He doesn't care about people. He cares about destroying God's work. And God loves us more than anything else he has created, and so we become the target. Does that make sense? So this is a war that has been going on since the beginning and continues to this day. It's a futile war. I don't know if Satan knows this or, and has just ignored it or if he's convinced himself that he has a shot, but there is no chance that he wins. However, that has not stopped him from really getting at it and continuing to really get at it and trying his best to come after us in any which way that he can. And he's rather good at it. There's a lot of different ways that he is trying to steal us away from God. Jesus was aware of this. He came down to earth and he was teaching. He taught a lot about Satan, a lot about how he was trying to draw us away from God, stealing us like sheep. In fact, that was an analogy he, he liked quite a bit. And if we look in John chapter 10, uh, where he's talking to a lot of people and he's talking about actually the religious leaders of the day, um, and it says, those who heard Jesus use this illustration, he's been talking about him being a shepherd and the sheep and all of that, didn't understand what he meant, which was pretty common. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, he says, I am the gate for the sheep. So back in ancient times, shepherds would construct these sort of circle stone enclosures with a gap, and the gate would be the gap. And the sheep would go in there at night so nothing could get in except through that gap. And the shepherd would sleep in front of the gap. They would be the gate. And so Jesus says, I'm that gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. So now context for this, this verse. He's talking about the religious leaders of the day. Because Satan had been using them... And drawing them away from their true purpose, which was to lead people to God. And they were actually leading people astray. And they were not doing it the right way. They were not going through the gate, as it were, but trying to come in over the side and changing the way God was doing things. And he was stealing sheep. They were stealing sheep. And Satan was using them and manipulating them to, to attack God by stealing his sheep. And that's what he likes to do. But that's not the only way he's been doing that. He hasn't just been using the, the religious leaders in Jesus' day. He's been using all sorts of crafty little ways of trying to get at us and separate us from God, hasn't he? And when we think of Satan and we think of the ways that he works, <clears throat> really our kind of most common idea of Satan is like satanic stuff, you know, the, the dark spiritual supernatural things like witchcraft or voodoo or, you know, all of these sort of really dark things that happen. And, and, and that does happen, and especially in other parts of the world. That stuff's for real. But I think God, Satan also uses much more subtle and more effective ways of getting at us. I don't think this is news to a lot of you. And I think one of his favorite battlegrounds, the one arena that he finds great success in stealing us away from God, is our finances. He uses money against us, especially in Western societies like New Zealand. Why? 
Because money is so essential to life. We need it. As Zig Ziglar says, money isn't the most important thing in life, but it's reasonably close to oxygen on the gotta-have-it scale, right? I mean, you just have to have money. For survival, you need to have money to buy food and a place to live and all of that sort of stuff. And so we can't help but engage money. We can't help but engage it, and often with great intensity. However, we also know that money is not only a key to our survival, but it is a key to a deeper part of us. It's like this golden doorway that leads us to some of the deeper human desires that we have. Desires for security. Desires for power. Desires for happiness, for importance and popularity. Money can get us those things. And so it's very easy for us to get enticed by it, right? And it's very easy for us to get caught up in it, and that makes it incredibly dangerous. First Timothy says this pretty clearly. Famous verse, he says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's often mistranslated as saying money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It's a sad truth. It's a truth that Satan is aware of. And Satan is also aware, even if we haven't quite figured it out yet, that we, as Jesus says, cannot serve both God and money. They cannot coexist on our pedestal as things that guide and drive us. God doesn't allow other things on that pedestal. He's a very jealous God in that sense. And so money becomes this perfect weapon to use against us. And since the Bible also says, kind of rattling through a lot of verses here, the Bible describes Satan as being the ruler and controller and manipulator of this world. So he is right in there, and he is using culture, and he is using our society to draw us deeper and deeper into the world of money. And it starts becoming more than what it was intended to be, more than a tool for something, but it becomes a driving force in our lives. And you felt this, right? You felt the pressure of society getting us and drawing us to hold tighter and tighter onto our money. And we get this vice-like grip on it, where we focus on what we have or what we want or what we feel like we need or deserve, or on the other end of it, what we don't have, what we wish we could have, what we feel like we deserve should be available to us. And it becomes, we become drawn into ourselves. And that is the moment at which Satan claims victory. Because when we are focused on ourselves, we're not focused on God. And so Satan is using this. And so whether we succeed or whether we struggle with money, 
The world draws us down a dark path of infatuation with money. And there is no life in that place. I think Satan even likes to use spiritual leaders to do this, just like he did in Jesus' day. And I mentioned this before. There are churches, and we've come across churches, who will use shame and guilt as a means of forcing people to give. I've heard of churches that post giving publicly and rank it. And so everybody knows who is giving and who is not giving. And that is an entry point into a, a place of community. That's not the community I see in Scripture. I've heard of churches, and we've all heard of churches that preach, if you have enough faith, you will never struggle financially. And the preacher is really rich because he has a lot of faith, and people are sitting there thinking, I don't have a lot of money, therefore I must not have a lot of faith. And do you see what's happening in this situation? Whether it's successful or a failure, we're still focusing on money. It's still the driving force. You know, my faith is dictated by my finances. Do you see the lie in that? Do you see Satan using that to go, ha, 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 you think you're thinking about faith in God, but actually you're just thinking about yourself or money. And he's drawing us away. And, and I don't want, I'm not trying to throw other preachers under the bus or anything like that. I just really struggle with some of these teachings because it leads us in a different path. And what we need is a different way of looking at finances. But there is hope. Because if we consider the situation, the story of the sheep and the the thieves and the robbers, we also recognize that there is a shepherd, one who is truly in charge of the sheep and who looks after the sheep and cares for the sheep. And Jesus himself says, Yes, I am the gate. Or I am the shepherd. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely. They will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And to make it look like the opposite. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This is the hope See, Jesus is not content to just let Satan run around manipulating people, having his way, and drawing people away. He's going to step in. He did step in. The whole story of of the the first four books of the New Testament in the Bible, the, the Gospels, is a story of Jesus literally stepping into our world and showing us a different way. And he says in verse 9 there, those who come in through me, those who follow my voice. In ancient times, a shepherd would, would sing or talk to his sheep, and the sheep would recognize the voice and follow him. In fact, even today um, in, in modern Middle East, you know, you'll see a, a shepherd leading his sheep down a busy street. And with all of the cars and everything going on and there's hustle and bustle and noise, he just whistles and sings. And the sheep hear him and follow him. He's saying, if you do that with me, Jesus says, if you listen to my voice, if you follow me, ignore the hubbub, ignore everything else, you are going to find life, real, true, amazing life. And how does he do this? What does his whistle sound like? 
In this context, I believe what he is trying to do is he's trying to get us to loosen our grip on our finances. To just take a deep breath and, and, and let go a little bit. And let him guide us. And let him take that pressure away and lead us to a different way. And show us a life of contentment and joy that we never would have seen had we not let go of our money. So can you see how finances is a deeply spiritual issue? You can see how this is not just practical stuff. I really believe that finding financial freedom has nothing, well not nothing, but very little to do with actual money. And so much to do with what's going on here in our hearts and up here in our minds. There is the place that we will find financial freedom. Not in our bank account, but in our hearts and in our minds. So what I'm hoping to do with this series, what I really want to do is to challenge some of the attitudes and the perceptions that we have around finances. But I wanted to do that on this foundation of, of the verse that we saw in, in John 10, 10, that the thief's purpose in our finances is to steal and to kill and to destroy. And he's using society to do that. Not everything about society is bad, by the way. I'm not, I'm not decrying everything. But Satan is manipulating that to draw us into this world, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And God says, no, I want to give you life, an abundant life. I want to give you riches you don't even understand yet because you're still thinking about money. I want to give you treasure that you can't picture in your mind because you think it sparkles and has gold. I want to give you stuff that is so much deeper and bigger and better than all of that if you will follow my voice. So over the next few weeks, we're going to, to challenge some of the things that, uh, that we think about money. I'm really excited about this series. I really feel like God could be doing something amazing in our lives and really could be helping us find this freedom. And, and as we find our own freedom, then we can help others find freedom as well. And we can fulfill the vision that we've got for our church community, which is to bring hope into financial hopelessness. And some of that, and that comes by understanding what that true financial freedom is and then offering that. Okay? So, what's next then? What's next for this series? How can we prepare for this series? There's three things I'd like you to consider um, as we think about what's going to happen over the next um, few weeks. The first one is, I want you to consider committing in your mind to coming along for the entirety of the series. I know that's not easy for everybody. I know there's logistics and stuff that happen and everybody's got their own situations and I'm not, I'm not trying to pressure anybody. But if you can't come along, I would encourage you to listen in on the podcast that you can find on the website because I think this is a journey that we can take together. And I think this is a journey that if we give ourselves to we will get a lot out of. But if we don't really give ourselves to it, then we may not get much out of it. Does that make sense? Okay. Second one, if you are a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to pray 
especially over the next week, pray that God will illuminate in your mind and in your heart what your attitudes towards money actually are. Not the ones you think or you like to think that you have or the ones that you maybe admit to other people that you have, but the ones that you really have. The ones that we often don't see ourselves because they're deeply ingrained. They've come from our background, from our upbringing. They've come from our heritage and our culture. They've come from so many different places. And we may not have had much control over that at all. So this is not a a guilt thing. This is not a, you're thinking wrong, and now you need to think right. But just asking God to open us up and have a look. Tell me, God, what is my attitude towards this? How do I actually feel about money? Because he knows even better than we do. So that when we come into this, we can come into it with a place of openness and readiness for what God was going to do. If you are uh, not a Christian or if, if praying is kind of not your normal, I get, encourage you to give it a go. I think I would love to hear from you. Um, you can always try that. But if that's a bit too much, that's fine. We understand that. But you can still participate through just reflecting on, on the way that you approach money. Not, not the way you spend money. This is not about spending habits. This is about attitudes and perceptions. So have a think about that. If you're using the Bible app, there's a little section at the bottom um, where you can jot down a few things, um, write down a few things this week as you're thinking about it, um, and, or you can just jot it down anywhere. Really, it doesn't matter. Okay. All right, and the third thing is this is a really good opportunity to invite some people who may feel imprisoned by finances. And for different reasons, too. This is not me saying, you know, go and find poor friends who, you know, are struggling with money. Because a lot of people who are poor are not actually struggling spiritually with money, right? There are rich people who are desperately struggling with money because it's about where their heart is, where their heads are. And some people are aware of that and are looking for something, looking for help somewhere to, to get out of the pressure and out of the prison that they feel like they're in. This is a great opportunity to invite them. We want to be welcoming and encouraging to people. Um, so haul them along uh, and give, give them a chance to experience and hear some of that. How does that sound? Does that sound all right? We're excited. We're looking forward to the next few weeks where I'm talking about money a lot. <laughs> but I think this is going to be a really great journey. Let me pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for, well, I thank you for what you have given us. Uh, We live in a country where, honestly, we have so much. Um, And maybe comparatively to other people in our country, we we may be struggling, but gosh, we look around the world and we we see other people are struggling. And and we just thank you for what you have given us, not as a guilt trip, but as as a gift. You know, the Bible says, you say, all good things come from you, and you've given things to us for our enjoyment, so we appreciate that. We also want to have the right attitude towards our money. We want to have a heart that is bent towards you, and we want to have a heart that is free from the pressures that we feel all around us around money. So shine a light into our hearts, tell us what we are thinking, and show us a path to freedom through this series. Guide me in my words as we continue on for the next few weeks. It's in your name we pray. Amen.